Good evening, friends. Welcome to Element City Church. We're so glad to have you here in the room. I want to have you joining us from your living room where you are, or later on this week if you're dialing in then. Uh, but we are glad to have you here. So just if you happen to be new, I met a couple of you, and this is your first time. Welcome. We know it takes courage coming to a new place. And so there's a couple of different ways that we can connect around here. Uh, you can go to your app store, download our free app, uh, Element City Church. Just type that in at your app store. You can download Download that. There's a connection card on there that you can click, a couple quick texts, and we are connected, and we'll give you a follow-up with you over the next couple weeks. I promise we won't spam you, but it's our way of kind of just walking with you. We know it's hard to connect to a new place, and so that's one way we can do it. And the second way is we'd love to invite you back to our 10-minute party in the back of the room right after the service for less than 10 minutes, and you'll get the best gift of all the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon, uh, waiting for you, and we'd love to just kind of hear your story a little bit, how you found us, and, and then maybe how we can answer questions for you if you have any. So uh, glad to have you here with that. If you also want to connect, you can just text the word hello to our text number, which is 520-340-6868, uh, but we're glad you're here. Uh, let's see, how many people are turkey for Thanksgiving people? We love the turkey. It's, uh, someone said earlier, it's a lot of work for a little bit, like a little bit of, you know, meat. It's a lot of work to have it be good. I love the turkey. How many of you are not turkey people? Like, you want something else. How many of you are just donuts? You just want donuts for Thanksgiving? Okay, no, okay, I'm just kidding. No one wants that. Um, but we are, uh, we're thrilled to, to kind of be in this series. We'll finish up Thessalonians uh, tonight and next week, and then we'll kind of get ready and geared up for Christmas. Can you believe it is around the corner and coming fast? Uh, but we're thrilled to have you here or tuning in online. So, uh, as always, we always pray for the Church of the Week, because we know it, it takes more than just Element City Church to re- reach our our beautiful city. And so tonight we're praying for New Life Bible Fellowship and uh, Pastor John Beeson and Greg Levine there. They are good friends. Uh, In fact, John Beeson used to be in my youth group at my old church. That's how old I am. So uh, grateful to have those guys here in the city and doing a lot of great things on the northwest side of town. So we're going to pray for New Life Bible Fellowship. So if you're in the room, I'd invite you to stand up. Uh, If you're at home, you can stand up if you want, but I can't see you. So Let's pray. We're going to dive into worship. We're going to look into God's Word and end with the worship songs. That's kind of where we're going the next hour, but glad that you're here making time for God. So let's just take a deep breath, kind of catch your breath. Maybe you've had a lot going on this week, uh, but let's just kind of quiet our own hearts. So Father, as we just hit pause, um, maybe a lot of us have a very busy week that we're coming out of. Maybe for a lot of us, we have a busy week that we're getting ready to step into. And so we just hit pause deliberately right now. God, we want to pray and ask for your spirit to be here and to refresh us. For some of us, we've been walking with you for a long time, Jesus. Maybe for others, we're investigating, searching things out. We're asking that tonight would be a fresh whisper from your heart to ours. As we look into your word, as we worship and, and sing these songs of praise and give our attention to you, may you inhabit the praises of your people. May you be in our midst and we sense your activity. Father, we uh, pray for New Life Bible Fellowship and and for Pastor John and Pastor Greg. We're asking for divine wisdom and assurance to them. We pray your blessing over their church, over their team. God, thank you for all the good they do across the city, the way that they are launching other uh, church plants, the way they are investing in uh, the whole northwest side of the community. And so, Father, we pray you continue to expand their reach. We continue to pray that you'd expand the reach of Element City Church as well. God, 
900,000 plus people that aren't connected into any faith community. And you have a heart for each one. You know each name. And so, Father, would you continue to give your church a heart for the people that you're searching for? God, as we worship you tonight, would you move in our midst and awaken us to you in a refreshing and reinvigorating kind of way? We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
the mountains where you hide Oh, how far I'd scale the valleys If you grace the other side And oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace source of its supply cause in the highlands and the heartache and even more less inclined oh I would search and stop at nothing you're just not that hard to find so I will praise you in my way you're the summit where my feet are so I will praise you in the valleys of the sea no less God within the shadows no less faithful when the night gives me astray you're the heaven where my heart is in the
tonight I just pray that uh, these songs would be more than words to us in this moment uh, but these would be little prayers little creeds that we get to sing out to ourselves just that reminder that confidence that we get to have that you are the same God yesterday the same God today and you'll be the same forever that you're the same God who when you make promises your word says uh, we can say yes and amen to that because you're faithful and because of your faithfulness we've seen that when, when you speak when you say you're going to do something you follow through on it and yet uh, just in that last song uh, there's moments of time where uh, maybe we question your faithfulness God maybe we question how we've seen you act maybe just what we've experienced in our lives it's, it's not good it's not uh, it doesn't line up with what we're used to seeing and so sometimes we just were left asking, God, where are you? And yet the reality is that um, for all the effort that we put into seeking you out, God, you're always there. That, that you tell us that when we seek you and we seek you with our full heart, that we'll find you. And so you're never far off. And because of that consistency, God, we know that you're there with us on the mountaintop. We know that you're there with us at the, the lowest valley. And so that song we just sang, that's something that we can sing as we're ascending out of the valley because we know we're gonna see your faithfulness come through for us once again. May that be the experience for every person who's walked into this room just carrying a burden. They'd see that, that they can worship you in the highlands and the heartache. It doesn't matter, God. You just want our heart, and you're there with us to carry us through any and every season. And so we thank you. We praise you for that, Lord, that we're never alone. That your peace, that your stillness, your faithfulness, all of those things we can experience when we look to you, when we rest in you, when we trust you. That's a heart we want to have, Lord. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come do the work that only you can do tonight. Would you stir our hearts? Would you stir our affections up for you? Would you anoint Pastor Jack as he comes to speak tonight, God? Would you allow the worship to continue as we dive into the word? Because now we're ready to receive it. Our hearts are open to hear 
what it is that you have for each and every one of us. And so if you're up for it, just take a moment, pray for yourself right where you're at. Just ask God to speak to you tonight. And take a moment to pray for Pastor Jack as well. Ask God to speak through him to you. Jesus, you're our hope. You're the one we can count on. The one thing we're sure of. And so we love you. We trust you with what it is that you want to do tonight. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Always good to worship together, and uh, glad to have you here. A, uh, <clears throat> a shout out to Anya and Lyle, celebrating 12-year anniversary today. Excited for that. So, 12 years ago, Lyle married out of his league. That's good. So, um, <clears throat> we are uh, grateful to continue on in our series in Thessalonians, and so if, if you're kind of new to Elements, or maybe you, you've been new turning in, uh, occasionally we'll do series that are topical. Uh, we did a series on, kind of called Flip the Script, looking all about mental health. What's the scripture having to say about that? Back a few, a uh, couple months ago, we've been in Thessalonians, so occasionally we'll go through books of the Bible, and we're going to wrap that up. Uh, we're in Second Thessalonians tonight, so if you have the church app, you can open up and go down to Sermon Notes. You can follow along there. You can open up your Bibles and go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where we'll be. Um, and uh, we'll finish this up again next week, and then we'll kind of make our way toward Christmas and excited about the Christmas season, getting to, to live that together. But uh, how many of you, I want, just to answer the question, how many of you have ever been fishing? Okay, a few of you have been fishing before. When I was a kid, uh, we lived in Pennsylvania before moving out here in my kind of third grade year we got out here. But I remember my dad waking me up early in the morning, and we were in Pennsylvania, and uh, we, we loaded the canoe, actually he loaded the canoe, I was small, uh, he loaded the canoe on top of the truck and we kind of, you know, roped it down, he had those little rubber things that would, you know, keep it from scratching up the, the top of the cabin, and we'd, we'd take off and we'd go down to the, the river and we'd kind of set the canoe in there, we'd take off, we'd get out to a place that he thought was like a good fishing place, and then we would drop our anchor, right? We'd drop anchor because, um, I don't know if you know this, how many of you have grown up in Tucson? A few of you have grown up here in Tucson. A river, a real river, actually has water in it all the time. Like, here's a picture of a river in Pennsylvania. I know this looks nothing like our rivers. When you drive over our rivers here and you go, hey, look, it's the Santa Cruz River, and you go... There's no water. Like, it's sand. Occasionally, we have water. Occasionally, it rains a lot. We have a big splash of water. But, like, uh, I know, like, Elijah, Atlanta, like, they've got water there, like, rivers. And rivers, I don't know if you know this thing about rivers, but, like, it's the water that's in there, and it's water that's moving. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Blows your mind. Uh, and, like, the water is continually moving. 
So if you actually want to stay in, stay in place and kind of stay in one spot, you have to have an anchor, and we would drop an anchor, and that would kind of keep us. We'd float around a little bit, but we would be anchored to that particular location because the river's moving the entire time, and it would just take you. You would end up going with the current if you didn't have something that would anchor you there. And I want you to kind of keep that imagery in mind as we kind of go into Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In fact, Elsewhere, one of the scripture writers in Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, speaking about this Jesus and everything that Jesus has done for us. And so maybe you're just investigating Jesus and you're here, then my hope is tonight you're going to hear more about Jesus and you're going to hear more about why you actually want to align your life with him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the end part. So we kind of looked at the first part of chapter 2. Lyle did a great job unpacking that. It's just the, the mystery, the beauty, the, the complexity of what does it look like when maybe in the end days or the end times when this uh, man of lawlessness or this idea of kind of something trying to take us, maybe in essence kind of like with the current of the world, uh, to take us away. And then Paul switches gears right away and says, listen, you don't have to be just swept away with the current and the whims and the wishes of the evil of the world around you, you actually can stay anchored. And here's how he says it. Verse 13 uh, through 17. We'll just read it. We'll kind of unpack it a little bit tonight. But we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings that we passed on to you, whether it was by word of mouth. Remember, Paul and Silas, and they were there with these people for about three months or so before they got kicked out of the country. And so this is that church planting. So they shared words with them, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now, this is his second letter he's writing back to them. The New Testament is being written as all of this is happening and taking place. Verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loves us by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And what Paul is really speaking to here is this spiritual stability. He's wanting you, he's wanting me as followers of Jesus to live with a spiritual stability in a world and in a current of a world that wants to kind of sweep us downstream, so to speak, in a way that just kind of goes with the whims and the wishes of whoever might be in power or whoever might have the sharpest tongue in that moment, whoever might have the ear of whoever needs to have the ear. But he's saying, listen, you don't have to be just swept away in the current. You can have some stability. The reality is, if you would just look at these verses, you can kind of say, listen, Jesus stood for you first so that you can stand firm for him now. You are beloved and rescued, so stand firm and hold fast. In essence, that's how you can sum up these words, these verses that he's writing out. God will continually encourage you and strengthen you. If you were to break down these verses, just verses 13 through 17, into three movements, here's what they could be. It's about our election by God. God chose us. We are the chosen. Our response to God. 
we're invited to have a response to him based on his response to us first, and then a support from God, that he is the one who sustains us. By election by God, Paul is kind of offering into this thanksgiving to the work of God and what he has done through the gospel, which is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. In, in essence, it's everything that, that God has been building and pointing to through the person of Jesus. This gospel story that we're invited into, that there is a brokenness in you and a brokenness in me that we cannot fix on ourselves. And we needed a savior to fix that in order for us to have a right and holy relationship with a perfect and holy God that we can't figure out a way to do it. We'll never create or, or, or kind of close that gap. It's too big. But we need a savior to close that gap for us. And so he does. That we are those who have been chosen and loved by God. Brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. Think about that. It's so easy for us to rush past that. We think it's just an adjective, a descriptor, if you will. But, but Paul's really speaking to an identity here. Brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. That, that is part of your identity as one who has put your faith in Jesus. That you are a loved one. You're the beloved of God. What, it, what would it do for your heart? What would it do for your life to ruminate on that more and more, to bring that to the surface of your life on a continual basis to recognize that you're not a disappointment to God? I've felt like that before. Have you? That you're not someone who has constantly running away from God. We may run, but that God, that you are loved by him brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. That is the first and greatest descriptor of God's view of you. Yes, you're broken. Yes, you need the Savior. But the reason he came is because he loves you. And that may be a foreign concept for some of you. That may not be the reality of the house you grew up in. And so, in, in so many ways, our earthly fathers shape maybe how we even see our heavenly father. And maybe that's not the shape or, or the framework that you have in the background of your life. And friend, I, I want to invite you to let the scriptures repair that. To begin to speak into your life that you are the beloved of God. I think of the little green aliens in Toy Story. You have been chosen. Friends, you are chosen. Not because of anything you did, but because God chose you. He, he picks you. He, he loved you before the formation of the world. Like, and that's hard to get our mind around. We, we sometimes look at this idea and go, okay, how do I understand that? How do I understand the, the sovereignty of God who understood things before things actually took place? How do you get your mind around that? Paul's view in Ephesians 1, 4 says this, He has chosen us and him before the foundation of the world. While the thought of God choosing us before the world was even created transcends our capacity to understand, it speaks to God's loving sovereignty. Paul places God's love for us in cosmic dimensions, and that is a remarkable thought. God's love for you is not limited by any human or temporal factor. This is to say God's love is unlike any love you know. 
or any love you interact with around you. His love transcends all categories. It is infinite and it is eternal. We are the beloved of God through faith in Jesus. That is the formation of the new identity we have in Christ. So to know yourself specifically, personally, irresistibly, unbreakably, and forever eternally loved by God is your central identity. And our fortitude to stand firm and to hold fast for him must find its foundation there. Otherwise, we're just trying to stand firm to get approval. And you don't have the strength, and I don't have the strength, to stand firm in order to earn approval. We can stand firm from approval. And from this identity, the, world, uh, the word translated chosen here is only used at this particular time in the entire New Testament. It's a verb meaning specifically God choosing of his people. Remember, God chose Abraham and his descendants. But by choosing him, it was not merely conveying a privilege. Here's a privilege for you. It was a privilege that came with responsibility. I'm, I'm choosing you, Abraham. And I'm going to actually reach the world through you and your descendants. I'm actually going to give a responsibility to you. I am choosing you in order to work and to choose others, in order to reach others. Abraham and his descendants were given the weighty assignment of being the channel through which God would reach the world. And we need to keep that in our sense of understanding, our sense of understanding that we are chosen. It's not just that we are chosen, we get to hang on to that and rest in that. It comes with a responsibility that God longs to work through his people, through you, through me. God wishes none to perish, Second Peter talks about. God has chosen you as the first fruits of salvation. The Greek word there is apparition. And it's this idea of first fruits, which means here's the first fruits of the crops, meaning the rest of the crop is coming. It's just not here yet. And so it's this first fruit of blessing that you and I are reached out and we're a part of that. And as a people who have been reached out by God, that God chose us first, he now has a responsibility to work in and through us. That's why part of our mission is to reach out, to reach those around us, our coworkers, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our people that we cross paths with, that for them to come to know this love of God that has reached us first and not for it to stop with us, but to pass through us, to impact and to inspire others. That we are part of being chosen is to be sanctified, to be set apart, that we are a set-apart kind of people as followers of Jesus. That we've been elected by God, chosen by him. It's his expression of his love for us on his own initiative first. It is eternal, it is unconditional, and it's now a call for us to be active agents of love and reconciliation in the world, that his initiative is still going forward in and through us. To respond to that, to respond to being part of the first fruits, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to then, of course, want to invite others into that and for them to experience hope and life with God. And so God takes the initiative first. It's what he does. And then this divine initiative seeks for us to have a response in humanity 
In fact, all of Paul's letters, when you read through, remember he wrote half the New Testament, when you read through his letters, he has great theology that helps us understand that it's God's initiative first. He went the first, he took the first step. He's the one that makes all this happen. And then there's this invitation for us to respond to that. So therefore, often in his letters, he'll say, therefore, and then this is how you're to live. And the whole last half of most of his books are talking about how this begins to impact our life and our living every day. And here he simply boils it down to this. Listen, I know you're under great opposition and great persecution in the reality of what's happening around you in the first century there in Thessalonica. And you, friend, are to stand firm and to hold fast the teachings that we've given you and that we've sent you as the New Testament is actually being put together in these years. You're to stand fast you're to kind of be sturdy. How many of you have ever been out hiking, maybe around a stream or so, and you see there's a lot of mesquite trees, there's a lot of palaverdes around here, but have you ever seen a cottonwood tree? Those cottonwood trees, those big kind of white, burly trees, they almost look camouflaged a little bit, and they're just so sturdy. Anyone ever tried to pick one up and move it? You have. That's impressive. It didn't work, did it? Um, and so, like this idea, if you, you can try to, occasionally if you're super strong, you can maybe push over a small uh, mesquite tree that hasn't taken root greatly, but there's no way for us to move a cottonwood. And in essence, when, when Paul's saying, listen, I want you to stand firm, what he's saying is, is kind of like that cottonwood. I want you to, to kind of be this immovable kind of person that's anchored, that isn't just swept away by the current of culture that's going on underneath you, but you actually have your roots sink down deep. Some of those cottonwood trees might have scars on them. They might have gouges taken out of them. They might have carved hearts or initials in them, but they stand fast decade after decade. You're to hold fast. You're to stand firm. Hold fast to the teachings of Scripture. This is early on, remember? This is about 51 A.D., this is soon after, just a few years after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. The New Testament isn't even fully in place yet. All these letters haven't been written. Thessalonica is actually one of the first letters Paul is writing. And he's writing to them. Remember, he spent time with them. He'll spend time in Ephesus, and he'll write from Philippi, and he'll write to all these churches that we read about, we know about. But it wasn't reality in the moment. And so he says, listen, I want you to stand firm and hold fast to these teachings that we're passing on to you, that we've given you, that we've unpacked for you. And now he's writing these letters, and Peter's going to write some, and James is going to write some. Most of the New Testament is written between 48 A.D. and 100 A.D. That's when it's assembled. That's when the Holy Spirit is using uh, the, the people who are first eyewitnesses of Jesus to write down the story of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John haven't been written yet. They're in the process. Notes are there, but the Holy Spirit's inspiring the writing of that, of what we hold true today. Second Timothy, Paul writes this later on. He says, listen, all Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love the word training in righteousness. The Greek word is padia. It's this idea of parenting in righteousness, that you would, the scriptures could parent you and help grow you up in your faith so that the servant of God, those who have said yes to Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. You could read 2 Peter as Peter's writing to the church saying, listen, all these prophecies that we're writing, it's the Holy Spirit inspiring this, so it's written down for you to know and for you to see. Most historical scholars kind of put the writing of the New Testament, again, like I said, between 48 AD and 100 AD, give or take a little bit. The 27-book New Testament that you have in your Bible that you could pull up on version now was first formally canonized during the councils of Hippo and Carthage in 393 AD and 397 AD. In the late 300s, everything is being assembled in there, and it has not changed since then. Think about that. We live in a culture where everything changes. Everything's modified, updated, new and improved. But what Paul's writing is, listen, these scriptures, they're, they're God-breathed in a way. They've been protected and preserved for you and I that for 1,700 years, we are the benefactors of a great tradition and not tradition just for tradition's sake. That Okay, this, we'll kind of get into that in a second. But this tradition that's kind of an anchor for our soul. That's what Hebrews writes about. And so these scriptures are, are meant to be something that can hold us and hold on to us. It's powerful tradition that we lean into. The longevity of the scripture. The saints through the history of the church, the desert fathers and mothers, the martyrs of those who have given their life for Jesus, and the millions and millions of common folks like you and I who have helped shape the tradition of Christianity in the church. Now listen, we have a lot of black eyes in the Christian tradition. We're not going to ignore the reality of that. But the history of it is a beautiful, preserved reality that can be an anchor for us. And that doesn't mean we don't ever question tradition. That doesn't mean that all tradition is meant to be revered. Tradition is not a sacred cow and never meant to be challenged. But the question of tradition is a critical issue that we see even between Jesus and the Pharisees. Remember, back to the squabbles that they would have, they chided Jesus for breaking some of the cherished traditions of the faith, so to speak, in the Jewish heritage of the Sabbath or rituals associated with eating. But Jesus made a sharp delineation between traditions of men and the commandments of God. And the scripture is that all scriptures God breathed that we might know the heart of God. Not the traditions of man, but the heart of God. And we can draw a line between two views of tradition. There's a traditional view that says, regarded as, well, this is the way we've always done it before. That's one way of viewing tradition. Another way can be, well, this is the accumulation of wisdom. This is the wisdom that's carried out through time and that's proven true over time. Two different views of tradition. And if we view tradition as this is the way it's always been and we just accept it, well, that's not a biblical understanding of tradition. A biblical tradition of understanding of tradition is this idea of wisdom culminated and pulled out. It's the word of God, Jesus himself, incarnate. It's the word of God written, the scriptures that have been protected and preserved for us that create the standards and traditions for us to hold to and to hold on to and for them to have weight and measure in our life. The wisdom of Christ in the scripture must always be our treasure and must be maintained. That's what can help hold us 
and, and inspire us to stand firm and to hold fast, even when the current of culture is maybe suggesting something different and pushing back against tradition. Listen, I'm all for healthy argument and healthy debate, which is a lost art in our day. That you can actually have a conversation and have different viewpoints on things. But the scriptures are to call us to say, listen, you stay anchored to this, even when it kind of pushes back against the current of culture. And friends, that is the day and age in which you tread and in which I tread. That there are certain things that the, the scriptures speak clearly to. That the world says, no, no, that's not how it is. It needs to be this way. And there's going to be tension in that. And what would it be for a church and for a people of God to be able to wade into the tension and be able to do what Paul is saying? You stand firm and hold fast. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this. Stand firm and hold fast does not give you license to be a jerk. Can I repeat that? To stand firm and hold fast does not give you license as a follower of Jesus to be a jerk. We have too many of those in our cultural moment. What does it mean to stand firm and hold fast to the truths of Scripture, to the truths of Jesus himself? That means you're able to wade into the tension with the winsomeness of Jesus who is able to minister to people who were nothing like him, but actually liked him. What if that could be said about your life? What if that could be said about mine? If I'm going to err somewhere, I want to err on the winsomeness of Jesus. Because people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. And Jesus wasn't a pushover. Jesus didn't compromise. In fact, Jesus was a person of conviction and compassion. And friends, the church, the church needs more followers of Jesus like that, who are firm, standing firm in conviction. And they hold fast, but they're not a jerk. And they're not mean. And, and they're able to walk into the tension of what people are really wrestling with. And they're able to have conversations, to ask and pray that God would shed the light that he needs to shed. And that he would do some of the transforming work that he had to do in my own heart, and that I might bet he had to do in your own heart before you said yes to him, to actually bring you toward conversation to begin to hold this. As followers of Jesus, we are to be people of conviction and compassion, of truth and grace, of forgiveness and steadfastness, of love and holiness. As followers of Christ, we Christians, we will face criticism for what we believe and truths that we hold to. But we should be more famous for our compassion and our generosity than anything else. And when we're not Things go sideways. And, and conversations can't actually happen. And people just dig their heels in and one tribe yells at the other. And there's limited room 
for the winsomeness and the beauty of Jesus to minister to people and meet people where they're at and begin to pull them and call them to where he longs for them to be. If you think back to your life, that's how he called you. That's how he called me. It was in the messiness. And into that mess, he was able to traverse that and transcend that and to minister in a way that just won you over to his grace and to his love and to his truth. And it's into that that the church in the 21st century needs to wrestle. And we live in a culture that will continue to allow us great freedoms, and we have that, but also a growing opposition to faith and tradition of faith, to the teachings of Scripture, and they will bring rising heartache and pushback. But we are to stand firm and hold fast, to be people who love like Jesus, people of conviction and compassion. See, trees gain strength from resistance. A tree won't tip over because the wind pushes it and resists it, and it actually deepens the roots and the grip of the roots as it faces resistance. And maybe the same is true for followers of Jesus. That in the resistance that we will face and that we do see, we're to stand firm and hold fast. And the last part of that is this prayer Paul prays that may, may God's grace, may his, um, may his power in actually sustain you and encourage you and refill your hope and then refill it again and then refill it again and continually anchor you as you recognize, hey, you're loved. You are loved and God chose you first before you ever even looked in his direction. He picked you. And he picked you so that now you can be one who walks with him. And as you walk with him in the winsomeness of Jesus, you can actually be a person who stands with great conviction and great compassion. It's both and, not either or. And that is a tense place to walk, and that is not always easy to navigate. In fact, I thought I'd end today with just kind of pulling us back to some tradition that uh, it really anchors the church. We have done this before in the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to ask Danny to come and just kind of play for us and just give us a space and kind of create a moment, an opportunity for us to kind of lean into this. The Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest statements of faith in the Christian church, written sometime around the second century. The Apostles' Creed is one of the most universally recognized summaries of the Christian faith concise an explanation of Bible's uh, key messages formulated and agreed upon by some of Jesus' earliest followers. The creed defines core Christian beliefs, theology about God, Jesus, the church, salvation, other theological topics. What we believe about God and Jesus and salvation has a direct impact on how we live out our faith. And, and so this invitation, maybe in these next few moments, is twofold. One is, I'd love for you to recite this with me, just like our brothers and sisters for century upon century have done. And for you to lean into the reality that you are part of a faith tradition in following after Jesus that's 2,000 years old, that actually has its roots even way back before that, and that you have something that can sustain you. You have been chosen, picked by God, that as, as he reached out to you, he's now inviting you to respond to him. And part of that challenge is for you to stand firm and hold fast. 
that in a cultural current that wants to sweep away and that wants to pull us in, in many different directions. Uh, we're to be immovable. Uh, we're to, to live in the, the tension. We're to, to live with the winsomeness of Jesus that meets the moment we're in. Uh, that we're to be people of conviction that hold fast and we're people of compassion so that we're not ever tainted as a jerk. And so we have to live in the tension of that. And sometimes I get that wrong. My hunch is you do too. But in God's grace, he says, listen, let's, let's try again. Let's continue to walk forward. Let's wade into this together. So these words of the Apostle Creed, we'll read them together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You are a part of a faith tradition that was here long before you got here. You're a part of a faith tradition that will be here long after you and I are gone. James writes and says, we're a mist. We're here today, gone tomorrow. You don't know. I don't know either. But we're beautifully loved. In fact, we're chosen. God picked you. He longs for you to be in relationship with him. He loved you first before you even looked in his direction. And he invested in you. Here's the second thought. I just invite you to think back over your life. Maybe you're a person of faith, a person who's put your faith in Jesus. I want you to think back to the people that God has put in your path that have imparted that faith or built up that faith or encouraged that faith that has blessed you. I think of Daryl, my junior high small group leader. Gosh, that guy put up with so much crud from us. But every single Sunday, he was there. Every single Sunday, he opened the scriptures for us. We got to talk about life and pray for one another. Daryl gave me my first job, landscaping. I went to college because of Daryl, which was awesome. <laughs> but God used Daryl. He used people like Roger. He used people like Phil. He used spiritual mothers like my mom and others to invest in me. Who has God used to invest in you, to encourage the faith? I should take 30 seconds. Just think of their, picture their face. Think of their name. Take 30 seconds and just thank God. In a week leading to Thanksgiving, just thank God for the people of faith who have encouraged your faith. That's really what Paul's saying here. That faith is passed one generation to the next, one person to the next.
God, we thank you for the people that we're thinking of right now, the names, the faces popping in our minds. And God, now to pray that forward. God, we pray for the people that will think of us maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now as people God used, you used to encourage them in their faith journey. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's the kids or the people that we work with. Maybe it's our neighbors. Maybe it's a coworker. God, you chose us, you called us, but that calling comes with a responsibility to keep passing this forward, to keep moving the faith and the history of faith to one generation to the next. So Father, we're grateful to stand on the shoulders of so many generations before us. We thank you that in a lot of ways, what you wrote to the Thessalonican church to stand firm and hold fast in the first century, God, in the 21st century, we have so much more history underneath that, so much more beauty to hold to. So as we sing this final song, God, would you just allow us to Again, to thank you for those that you've invested in our lives. And maybe would you imprint and kind of implant maybe some people that you want us to invest in. God, as we worship you, we thank you for the history that we're a part of. And may you help us be a people who stand firm and hold fast just like Jesus did.
Well, uh, we just want to thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a great night, hasn't it? Hopefully the Lord uh, spoke to each and every one of you something through all of that. Um, I know just as I was sitting there and, and, and we talk about how sometimes standing firm can be difficult in today's culture. Uh, my encouragement to you is if you think it's countercultural now, just think of how countercultural it was back then. If you know anything about the context of when scripture was written um, and when these letters were written to the church, the early church, not much is different compared to how our society, how our culture is now. It's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit for us to do that. And it's even more so when we get to do this together uh, as a body of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we gather to do this is so that we can be encouraged to live this out together. Amen. Uh, real quick, for those of you who uh, help support us financially by your tithes and your author offerings, we just want to thank you for that. Uh, man, you're the reason we get to do the day today. And so uh, thank you so much for, for choosing to partner with us and for trusting us with that. Uh, if you're new here and you're looking on how you can give, most of our folks give through the app. Um, so you can download the church app and, and give through that. We've also got some um, metal boxes that are back at the back doors there. So if you've got cash or a check, uh, car keys, uh, credit cards, anything like that, and you want to drop that in there, just kidding. Ha. Or am I? Or am I? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, ties and offerings, that's where that's at. If you want to give um, through, through uh, outside of the app, you can do it that way. Um, real quick, Thanksgiving's coming up this week. So we hope you have a great time. We hope that you have a, a wonderful chance getting to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, with family, with friends, with somebody. Um, so we know with that happening, we're getting ready to move into the Christmas season. So a couple things about the upcoming Christmas season. We've got an after party coming up. That's going to be December 11th after service. So we love to do this cookies and cocoa thing. Um, and we've got someone in the church. She is going to make 400 cookies. Folks, do the math. If there's about 100 of us in the room, that's four cookies per person, okay? That's a lot of cookies in today's day and age. And there's probably going to be more than that. So we're going to allow you to gorge yourselves on cookies, to drown uh, your sorrows of eating all the cookies away with more hot cocoa. Um, and it's just going to be a big sugar fest, and it's going to be fantastic. So if you're tuning in online, uh, this would be the night for you to join us. That's going to be December 11th after the service. Uh, and we also have Christmas Eve services coming up uh, on Christmas Eve itself. We're going to do that at 4 and at 6. It's going to be the same service. It's going to be right here in the room. We're going to do that with Emmanuel as we've done for the last, I think, five years now. Jack, isn't it been five years? Crazy. Crazy to think about, isn't it? All right, dinner tonight. It's going to be at Jason's Deli. We've got a group of people who love to go. If this is your first time and you've never joined us for dinner afterwards, if you go out the doors, while you're going out, there's usually some uh, kind people just greeting you and saying goodbye to you. Not just me, someone else. But you can talk with them. Uh, there is a group of people who are committed to buying dinner for your first time, going to dinner uh, after church. So if you need free food tonight and you've never been to dinner, uh, hit somebody up. We'll make sure that uh, that gets taken care of. Uh, so Jason's Deli, that's the one out on Broadway, uh, past Craycroft, across the street from, um, what's that mall? Park Mall. Park Mall. There it is. From Park Mall. Guys, I think that's it, isn't it? We've done it. We've made it to the end of another service. Hooray us. Let me pray for you uh, as you go into your week. So God, just thank you so much for uh, a chance to gather under the banner of your name, Jesus, to lift you up. And we know that your banner over us is your love. And so Jesus, we wanna be people who reflect that love ourselves. People who know how to stand firm and hold fast to the truth and the hope that we have in you. Uh, but as Jack said, we're not a jerk. We wanna be people who are defined by the love that has transformed our lives. And so we want to love others in such a way 
and make sure people get to experience the same thing that we have. That's a vastly different thing than to just try to call people to follow some rules and some regulations or some, some things. Uh, Jesus, we want to be people of principle, people who uh, know what your word says, who are able to live that out and who do so because we recognize that's the path to flourishing. And so God, I pray your blessing over each person here this week. I pray that uh, their Thanksgiving would be full of joy, uh, lots of good food, and just a chance to sit back, to relax, and to unwind um, after what's just been a, a long year, God. So uh, we love you. We thank you for the chance to gather together as the church, to be the church. And so would you strengthen us to go out and to live out the things that we've heard tonight. That's what we wanna do through the power of your spirit. Would you make it so? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving.